That's right. It's Between the Profound and the Profane. It's usually a comedy podcast where three lifelong friends gather together and all that, but today I'm speaking to the new friends, the true believers, the bone whores, and the trash people. We've been gone for about a month, and I'm sorry for that, but we needed a bit of a break. We've been working on some new things, and a new episode starts on August 20th of 2018, so look out for that uh, on Monday uh, the 20th. We instead are giving you a tester episode of our new show that we've been working on uh uh the wide angle show uh and it's about movies we review movies and we decide which belong in the millennial film fault so uh enjoy the show enjoy the test uh the pilot will be coming out probably by the end of the year and uh, go check out the no phony podcast network at nophonynetwork.com no phonies y'all Hey, what's up, everyone? It's Travis from the Know Your Draft Podcast, and you are listening to the No Phony Podcast Network. Follow our network and our show on Twitter at PhonyNo and at Know Your Draft. Thanks, and enjoy the episode, my friends. Do you want to listen to the best podcast of all time? Cool. So do I. You can do that, or you can listen to us. I'm Jay Ray, and this is my bitch-ass sidekick, Loop Dog. You gotta say the rest? L-double-O-P. Oh, well, I don't know. Well, I mean, go ahead. Well, We're already here. We're already here, start. bitch. Go ahead and don't say it. No, just do it. Right. I don't want to fucking start Loop over. Loop Dog, L-double-O-P-D-O-double-G. That's me, that's right. And we are Politics with Dummies, a podcast on a no-phony Podcast Network at nophonynetwork.com. Look for us. We be everywhere. <laughs> well, that's a shame. That's why Chris is the loudest, is because he has to be. so coughing right now. Actually, your, vo- your voice is low. Corey. Well, the, where are my levels at? Yours are the lower levels. Where am I looking specifically for my levels? Shut up, Chris. Yeah, that's it. Okay, where am I looking for my... Okay, we're right there. Actually, that That's one was good. Yeah, it's been a while bad. since I've been this on. This seems you know, okay. It has. Gotta get it, it all out. <laughs> it has. Versus, uh, this is a, like we're doing something completely different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're wearing scarves. Uh, we are wearing scarves. Ha ha ha! How many times can you throw well, a scarf over your neck before it's... Before it's... No longer around your neck anymore. It's just like... Oh, wait, it just came undone. See? <laughs> that many times, folks! That many times! Ha-ha! <laughs> That's too tight. That hurts. Welcome to the Wide Angle Podcast, where we explain movies through our lens. I'm Chris, munching on some Grindage Myers. These are my co-hosts. I can't get any wider than this for my lens! <laughs> co-hosts. I am co-host. <laughs> <laughs> I am co-host. I host the cones. Co-host? Yes. New show, guys. Welcome to the Parking Cone Cast. <laughs> Our guests, DJ Khaled. DJ Clutch? Yeah. In the mix. In the mix. 93.5. Throwing out broken hearts and unicorns. Throwing them out. Putting them on deck. I'm one part of this twisted-ass movie podcast, Chris. 
Sleepless Warco. You may remember me from such shows as Between the Profound and the Profane, and other production programs as The Bonus Hours. I, uh, I'm Dodge. I, I run a, a gaming show on Twitch and do things incorrectly quite often, so you just enjoy that. That's most of what this podcast probably will be. Uh, and speaking of people who did things incorrectly, today... We watched a movie. Did we do that incorrectly? I feel like both of my eyes were open. I believe that the movie incorrectly movied. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, it's garbage. It's hot garbage. <laughs> but it's good hot garbage. It is so good. It's it's great. And we don't mean, like, trauma films, bad good. Which we mean... begs to question, there is the difference between a good film and a film that did well at the box office. In my opinion. Yeah. Well, definitely. I, yeah. Definitely. Th- that's just a fact. I mean, look at any Fast and the Furious movie. <laughs> it depends on how checked out and on how many drugs you want to go on. No, because man, those are always bad movies. If you're, like, straight lobotomized... Okay, but, like, if you're lobotomized, you might confuse us for a podcast about traffic guns. We need to get in the car. I mean, I don't, I, where are we getting the traffic cones? The cone cast. Oh, see, I thought that was a Coneheads podcast. No, 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 other cones, traffic cones, bleak, bleak, parking bleak. cones, cone cones. The I cones have some matter. chewing gum. God, that was such a good movie. But that's not what we're talking about. No, no, it's not. It's not what we're talking about here today God, on the White Angle Podcast. The list, though, where we look into films yes! and uh, try to build and fill the millennial filmographic lexicon, which we're going to call from now on the MFL uh, vault. Mm. That's the... Uh, 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 uh. That's where the movies go. That's where the movies go, right? Yeah. Okay, so today we're... Uh, son-in-law, give me a plot synopsis. In a world where small-town farm girls are oppressed by their overprotective fathers, one woman dares to break the mold and escape to college. It is there she meets a flamboyant party boy named Crawl, who opens her up to new experiences, and then she decides to take him home for Thanksgiving break, where he becomes a small-hand farm boy because he to a fake girl. Well, no, she's a real girl. He that... fake proposed. <laughs> yes, is she, she is a real girl, and, and it was a fake proposal. Uh, also, longest Thanksgiving break. Uh, uh, college like, is like two weeks, I, though. Yeah, it's like two weeks. I know, we never went, so... I mean, a shitload uh, happened in that two weeks, When though. I came back, it was like a solid ten days. And yeah, but a did lot you did see happen. how quick they cooked the bird? <laughs> Clearly time was on nobody's. I mean, or perhaps it was the truest uh, college break, the one where you come back from college and just don't go. Uh, you don't yeah. go back? Yeah, you don't go back. What are you doing? It was the, it was oh, the, yeah. it was the, the it. 10 year long college break. I feel like the whole course of that, that plot line probably played out in a week and a half. <laughs> I mean, there was the day they got there, there was shopping day. How many, how many times do you think it took him of putting the feet on his back with the rollerblades until he actually got that down for the montage. 
Oh, man. Uh, I don't know. Pauly Shore is pretty much just a national treasure. So, like, once he probably did on the first, first track. Yeah. yeah. I want to know how many times it took for him to figure out how he was going to rollerblade down the dirt path is what I was really interested in. Like, the feedback's on you, whatever, like, natural propulsion, I get it. <laughs> but you're rollerblading on dirt, bruh. I mean, there's rocks, definitely. Definitely uh, rocks. Uh, some of those hard patch weeds. Loose loose feed. Loose feed. Get caught up in the, uh, the, the, All the, the blades. All sorts of stuff, man. Anything could happen while you're rollerblading. Why did we watch this movie uh, to, to see if it's worthy of being in the vault, John? Oh, man. Son-in-law is Mr. Honkers and his farm boy billions. Uh, Son-in-law is what you get when you allow a room full of 90s executives to just build a movie like it's a Lego set. You just take all of the pieces, you take the generic plot points, you take the montages, you take the the B-list star in Pauly Shore, and you take the B-list B-listers in literally every other actor in that Is an movie. A-lister allowed to become a B-lister? But yeah, if they start so, fucking up. No, I mean, no, 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 no. I mean, like, when you start out, you're not always... Like, I would... I would hard say that Polly Shore, for a very short amount of time, was a A-lister no. in the 90s. Yeah, no, no, Never no, 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 Absolutely. Mm. All of his movies, none of his movies up in the 90s were direct-to-video. They all went That's to the theaters. That, that is true. No, he, he did make direct-to-video <clears throat> movies in and the I don't 90s. And I definitely don't think that that is the uh, criteria for being B or A-list. A-list is your Tom Cruise is your Jackie Nichols, is your... Uh, David Hasselhoff circa 1985. No, okay. Definitely So not. does that no mean... Way. Wait, no, wait. 80s Hasselhoff Does that mean Brendan star. Fraser, who was no longer in the spotlight, is was ever an A-lister, or was he always a B-lister? No, he I did things like The Mummy. Brendan Fraser was an A-lister for quite some time. You think? Oh, dude, three If Polly Shores yeah. wasn't an A-lister, then Brendan Fraser wasn't an A-lister. No, no, no. Brendan Fraser was in, like, movie after movie after movie for, like, ten years straight. He had a film coming out every six to nine months. They're on he your A-list. He was in big-budget films. Is Rudy an A-lister? Who? The fucking... Sean Astin? Yes. Or is that a B-lister? No, nah, he's probably a B-lister. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, like, he's... Fair enough. He is a good actor. He's, like... In that like lower rung of like tier one actors, but wouldn't that make you a bottom level A lister? Maybe. The Which thing is, is kind of where Polly Shore was in the nineties. He quickly fell off. There was only probably a five year gap. But Polly Shore only made Polly Shore movies. People yeah. only called Polly Shore to make Polly Shore movies. They only called Polly Shore to play that the. Uh, typical Polly Short character. Brendan Fraser got to do basically whatever he wanted. Okay, so we can also say the same thing of Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Stallone, Bruce Willis, Jean-Claude Van Damme. All um, of those were all typecast. 
And, and none of them were A-list celebrities because they were all only called to play that particular role. I don't know about that. Stallone, did, again, <clears throat> did a lot of movies in the 90s. He did a lot of comedies. He did a lot of action movies. He did a couple of dramas. He did a porno. That wasn't the 90s. Schwarzenegger the same. Well, no, but like in his... It was his, like his very first... Yeah, that was like in the early 70s. 70s. It was like 78, 79. Uh, it was like maybe 77, but yeah, somewhere in there. Yeah, same thing with Schwarzenegger. Like, when he was an A-lister, he wasn't just making action movies. He was making family movies. He was making comedies. He made a couple of actual dramas. And then he fell off. It um, skips from page 11 to 13. Give me the goddamn page! <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I feel like those are definitely A-listers. Like, even if they are primarily typecast... It's really just like, what is the breadth of work that you are able to be pulled for? Folks, I know we're just getting started and you may never see this, but leave your opinion in the comments. Is Polly Shore considered an A-list celebrity? Was he ever? Was he ever? That's that's the, that's yes. how you. A minus listener. <laughs> yes. If you say B plus. In some people's books, that's an A minus. Like I don't even think that Paulie Shore would call himself an A lister. Uh, he hung around A listers. He got he, did. he got to be well, dude. He started R as a VJ. He got to be an A list yep. on MTV. He was a VJ. He was VJ. <laughs> so we were getting into why this. So yeah, no, I, th I think the reason that we select this film is it is just indicative of so many different things. Uh, about the early 90s. It is quintessentially a a late 80s, early 90s, formulaic, family-friendly-ish comedy. Um, you know, it's not breaking any rules, it's not really trying to do anything too exciting, but it's fun, it's entertaining, and, and it's just uh, built of that entire era. You know, there, I don't think that there is anything about that movie that feels out of place for the time in which it was released. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, sure, it, out it, of place for the time it was released. I would say it doesn't hold up. Oh God, no! But I mean, really, how but many I mean, things do? Uh, there are a few ambiguously placed timeline movies that, as long as you. And sometimes they do a good job about it, of not pouring technology into it. So, yeah. like, old school computers or fucking, hey, look, it's a cordless phone. <laughs> right. Uh, it does a good job about you're able to kind of watch it seamlessly. Like, it doesn't get, oh, this is definitely bogged down in the, in the 90s. Look, they're using dial-up or something like that. Oh, but uh, they were. Oh, and we definitely, saw it. Dude, the... I, I, the what do you call it? The fucking wheel? The idea wheel? What? You, you, you know, we put the fucking the word Venn in. diagram? Is that a Venn diagram? Yeah. Yeah, okay. That was his hacking thing. He, he did a Venn diagram on the computer, Polly Shore. Like, oh, oh it had like the his net, computer yeah. codes, and then it like drew out a Venn it's diagram, like and he was like, I'm in, bro. Out. I'm done. I did it. I don't think that things being uh, so typically of their time uh, indicatively makes them age worse if you understand what I'm saying no like, absolutely I, 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 like that's I, I, not what makes a movie not hold up yeah well no but if it's a period yeah Pride and Prejudice still holds up and that's a period piece I don't mean period piece I mean like if you know that it's set in the 90s 
then I can always view that movie as a 90s movie. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, if, if it were to be remade, there would be all of that 90s shit that would be taken out of it. And it would be remade for a movie in our day and age. It's not like they would remake a movie in the 90s. They would, yes, but typically if they were to do that, it would not be remade in 90s style. Right. Kind of no, thinking, I, thinking I along the same lines of yeah. Arthur. Right. Uh, the original Arthur and then the new one that came out with uh, Russell, Russell Brand. Brand. Yeah. And then, you know, they just flip a few key ingredients in the story and boom, you got a remake. Yeah. Which is the argument that I think John is making, which is what, uh, the reason that, that this is even up for debate on this show in which we put uh, movies into a film vault for our entire generation is that it is... Well, let's call it what it is. Completely, di- the, uh, completely distilled of our childhood like the time when we were kids like it, it feels like that time it's indicative of that time it is 1993 uh not only is this movie very 1993 but Polly Shore himself is pure distilled 1993 aged in an oak barrel yeah uh, he is well, just let's not get too crazy right the barrel was made of jean shorts and had a bunch of yo-yos do in you it. feel anybody else feel like this was uh tiny dr pepper's acting career before he moved to the Dr. Pepper commercials. Oh, tiny Dr. Pepper. You haven't seen the little, the little, oh my God, we gotta watch that later. It's it's for Die Dr. Pepper. And he is basically just a little, he's the tiny Dr. Pepper man. And he appears and says all kinds of funny shit and reminds me, basically Polly Shore was like Steve Tyler Light in this movie, like dress wise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he reminded scarves me, and everything. Yeah, scarves, tie dye, jeans, bell bottoms. It's like they pulled him out of a fucking Scooby Doo episode, which is very nineties <laughs> in and of itself. All of that I, was. Dude, I was so tiny in the nineties that mm-hmm. I, you know. But going back and looking at my pictures, like yeah, old albums and shit, what like I it was, was like as a kid, I can. It was those like sharks and shit on my shirt, and it was like the. The Lisa Frank of boy patterns. Yes. Yeah. You know, and st- you know what I mean? Instead of unicorns and fucking rainbow shit, we had like surf Hawaii, so like the, the gradient shirt from blue to sunset with some kind of black pattern. You know, sharks, dinosaurs, something going across the shirt. Now kids are all trendy and shit. They look like little fucking thirty year olds in suits and shit. What are you I'm fuck this guy? I don't know how you dressed in high school, but if you dressed like this in high school, you were fucking way ahead of the curve. I did not dress like this in high school. <laughs> I did not dress like this in high school at all. I was... Uh, no. No? No. 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 I, I mean, I've told this on our other podcast, Between the Profound and the Profane. I, For <clears throat> at least all of freshman year, I only wore Just blue Quicksilver shirts. They really? were all different. There were so many of yeah. them. I think you had a great I had one gray one. <laughs> there was a gray one, yeah. Because I wanted to wear all black. My mom said I couldn't wear all black, so, so I decided to wear all blue. I, I was sticking it to her as well as the Hot Topic Crippin', kids. bruh. <laughs> anyway, was uh, this was my first encounter with this movie. Uh, I watching it for this podcast, son-in-law. I've never seen it before. Uh, and seeing it as an adult male, I... I can kind of really appreciate it. Uh, like I, I appreciate the the bits of humor that are in it. Uh, Polly Shore isn't 
at his 100% polyshoreist. Are you previously, have you been exposed to polyshore oh, yeah, before no, this? No, I, I, I like Encino Man. I've seen Biodome like two or three times and I hate that movie. Like I hate, hate, hate that movie, but I've seen it more than, I might have seen it oh, more than movie. that. Blame it on the bald one. Is that Billy? Uh, no, that was, was Adam. Adam. I'm pretty sure that was Adam or, or Steven. 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 Is that the Christian? Stephen Bald? Yeah, yeah. It's Stephen Baldwin. He's a he's a uh, born again Christian now. I got to meet him at Lakewood Church oh. years ago. Yeah. It was uh, when he. Oh God, this was like 2007, maybe 2006. His book had just released, and you just walked he right up to him and said, "Hey, your brother's better looking." No, no, no. So he was, he was, he had just released this like self-help book about like how to be a better Christian, and I'm like, whatever, dude. I really like Biodome. How to not let your older brother's fame get to you? So I got to, I went to the church. I sat through the sermon. It was mediocre at best. Was uh, it him talking? Yeah, he he spoke for like half old an school. Hour. So this was before. This was old Osteen. I don't remember his name. John Osteen. Oh no, no, no. This, this was this was before Joel took right, over. Right, and so Stephen Baldwin John. was like that's the one everybody a guest liked. speaker. He would open his church. doors for a hurricane. And uh, he was talking about his book, and he did like a meet and greet, and he was he was signing books, and all I wanted to do was shake his hand and be like, "Hey, I thought you were way funnier than people said you were in Biodome." And he's like, don't talk about Biodome. He gave me the dirtiest, like, go eat dick and fucking die look Did you that say I have ever received in a church since I was probably 14. And sincere as fuck, uh, 14-year-old John, uh, John was just crushed. <laughs> because he was oh, sincere no, dude, I was Steven. like 18 or 19 <laughs> at this point. Like, this wasn't just like you soul-crushed a teenager. This is like, wow... You're a fu- like you know how they say don't meet your idols like you're just some guy in the movie and I shouldn't have met. Oh, uh, dude, I would be totally crushed. My idol to meet would be Jim Carrey. Yeah, and if he was an asshole to me, like I mean, Jim Carrey's d- just evolved into a crazy person. I don't care. I would love to go crazy with Jim Carrey for like a week. So yeah. seeing this as an adult, like in its whole. Uh, <clears throat> Purely distilled 1993, which is something I was alive for but didn't fully experience. It was a flash of tie dye and like weird music and color. Oh, what was uh, that? Uh, it's really enjoyable to be able to go back and see that and understand its parody at this point. Like, this is what executives in the 90s saw as 90s teen culture, Marketable. 90s uh, co- college culture, and. Uh, 90s clothing, 90s style. Uh, so it, it's it's now a almost parody of itself because of how far it's removed, which is kind of cool to see uh, at this point. And I, I honestly, I enjoyed the movie. I, it was way more enjoyable than I expected a 21% uh, Pauly Shore movie to be because I think most Pauly Shore movies are only a 50% uh, on any scale. Oh, it is. It, but again, that that definitely just points out the divide between a technically or objectively good movie and an enjoyable movie. And But you guys have history with this movie, right? You guys have both yeah, seen this so movie. Much. I was going to say, from when I, I can remember, I loved this movie when I was a kid. I really liked Polly Shore as a kid, though. Yeah. Um, uh, I would say that as a child, I was probably exposed because I had a really young mom to movies that I shouldn't have been exposed to as a child. Right. Um, and maybe accelerated humor comedy. 
there was a lot of things on rewatch of Son-in-Law that I definitely did not fucking pick up as a kid. Uh, Polly Shore is extremely sexually charged <laughs> in the whole movie, and as a kid, that all just went way over my head. Uh, I thought it was funny when the roommate or the 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 son was talking about boobies. Uh, <laughs> You know, as a kid, it's always I, funny when kids talk about as a, as a kid. I can remember thinking that was funny, but uh, and you know, like the I caught the little bits of humor that kind of were easy to catch as a child yeah. in the movie that made it uh, the Pauly Shore slapstick thing. Slapstick, yeah. and it was almost almost just like most movies. You know, there's always a little bit of adult humor geared in there, but you could have sold this as a family movie. Yeah. I mean, you really I, can sell this as a time, family movie. It was sold as a family. I'm pretty movie. sure. I mean, probably PG-13. Yeah, I yeah. think it PG-13. was PG-13. Was it really released Plus, as PG-13? Yeah, it was. It was released as PG-13. Released in '93, and it had the kid from the Sandlot, uh, the Great Hambino. Yes. Yeah. Which I would assume. And I feel so bad for not looking up the actor's name. I'm sorry. I know. I am sorry, too. We apologize. I know you're a real person. I will wear a Sandlot shirt just to honor you next time. Look, I ain't worried about him hearing this. That's because he's wearing glasses. (laughs) I will fuck you up, Sandlot kid. (laughs) The Great Hambino! Yeah, you ain't so great now. Fucking diabetes. The SWAT. Um, Rewatching it. I still found it very enjoyable. Yeah. Um, I don't know. To me, the most fucking Polly Shore movie would be my first encounter with Polly Shore, which would be Encino Man. I don't know if that was his first movie, too. No. No, but it was... Or his first mainstream movie. Breakout role. That was the one that defined the Polly Shore film. I think the first one was... He was some kind of... He was a clerk at a video store. I think that was like his first movie. And he, people would come and ask him for advice, and he would tell them which movies to rent. That was like his very, he was like a very small side piece I mean, role I'm, in yeah, something. I'd have it. to look that up later. But um, uh, I definitely, the adult humor was all over that place. Oh, uh, all over? All over the movie. Uh, this was, movie? Yeah. Son-in-law? The son-in-law, there was just slammed with adult humor. Uh, and it made me think, you know, at first when we were all... The way the the brother acted, I, I tried to. I mean, you you think about some weird, creepy shit when he you're. Just he to did fuck just kind of want to fuck fuck his sister, see his sister interact with another person sexually. I think he was. That sounds like hitting, you want to fuck his hitting sister. puberty hard. I mean, like a brick wall. Like a brick wall. Like a like a freight train. Hitting that, another freight train. That eleven-year-old uh, boy has rubbed his dick on every surface of everything in, in the that house. house, and probably uh, the farm animal. At least four times every every surface. He in his really bed. knew how to milk a cow yeah. without getting pissed on. That's all I'm saying. Well, I mean, maybe don't stand directly underneath its urethra. It's just, I mean, that's. I'm just like the multitude of ways in which you can milk a cow without getting pissed on is basically all but one foot. There is. You're correct about that. Yeah, and the pee was green. I mean, why was the pee green? Gatorade, bro. It's what plants create. Grass. Cows eat almost nothing exclusively grass. Would that make your pee green? I don't like know. Eating so many carrots. I don't know. That just it's reminds me of the episode great. of Magic School Bus where 
What's his name? Eats so many carrots, his skin turns orange. Mm, yeah. You remember Arthur. this? He's an Andy. <clears throat> I also know? remember that this happened in Scrubs. <laughs> Did he turn green or orange? Uh, no, there was a patient. It doesn't. Oh. It doesn't matter. <laughs> he listened to the fray and he solved the problem and everything was okay. The girl from the Brady Bunch also did that. It's like Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. I don't remember which one. I am no. One of the girls. Mar nothing like that would ever happen to Marsha. That's a Jan thing to do. Well, Jan is the one that said Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Yes. Okay, but I mean the yeah, actress, yes. like in real life. <laughs> Wait, no. Like not an episode of the show. Like they had to actually. What kind of a fucking well have we fallen down? <laughs> Look, man, we're we're on the carrot cone cast now. All right. Oh. You mean carrot top? No, no, no. That's no, like Holly Shore with codes. orange hair. We're gonna convince the viewer to facelift. It's terrifying. Parking cones with carrots and leave them. In your local highways, look, alright, I don't remember what comedian said it, but he made a really good point. All of us are one Amazon order away from having parking cones delivered to our homes and making traffic go wherever we want it. Yes. Cited later. What was your first encounter with this movie, John? Oh man, my first encounter with this movie, I would have been... Oh, let's see, six or seven years old. Son-in-law had just come out. Um, it would have been five. Maybe six. It came out in 93. You were born in 87 or 88? 87. Okay, you're six. Yeah, well, it depends. What, when did it really July come? 2nd. So, uh, yeah, I would have been or six. Um, so I, was I would have been seven the first time I saw it. Because I know that we didn't see it in theaters. Mm -hmm. uh, my my parents, I guess it was probably my dad uh, brought home the VHS. And it was one of those movies that we rented it and everyone enjoyed it. And so now we just have to go buy it. And it went into my regular rotation of whatever Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles had been taped. Uh, some amount of Yogi Bear and Snow Beast. Um, <laughs> did you guys go, when y'all were younger, did y'all go see movies at the theater more, or y'all, was your family more blockbuster? Oh, no, blockbuster. It was actually we Albertsons. Maybe not even blockbuster, but renting videos. Yeah. Because yeah. there, there used to be a place uh, on Spring Stubner that we used to grab videos from all yeah, the time. Yeah, we were a blockbuster family. Yeah, and uh, so I remember that that would be how I would see those movies that were outside of my age bracket. I mean, especially in the '90s, that was a thing. That was a big thing. But you know, especially with movies like this, and I think this movie in particular, it didn't pick up until it hit the VHS, uh, VHS yeah. and the rental market. Like people actually started to watch it and. See, I, I don't remember this movie, like I said, I, this is my first time seeing it, but I do remember it being in everybody's film collection. Like, people had it growing up. So, I never saw it, but people had it all the time. So for me, this was one of those movies that, like, I grew up with the VHS, and as soon as I got my first Xbox, and, like, you know, I'm kind of doing the I have my own things thing, like, had to go get the DVD of it. <laughs> Um, I wish that I had pictures of just me standing next to our old VHS collection yeah. Yeah. so that I could kind of see what was in our rotation. Mm -hmm. Like, I can pick out some of my favorites, but it would be interesting to know 
what I grew up on, like that yeah. I may have forgotten about. Now, I, I do wish that I do wish that my parents had taken <clears> more <throat> pictures of me and my little brother just doing things, like you know, just sitting down playing video games or watching our favorite movies. Uh, more because like I don't remember those moments, right. and those are really important moments more than anything. And it'd be cool to see like, oh, what was I watching when I was like six? Because I vaguely remember it, but. Uh, Anyway, does that wrap up uh, any of your th your thoughts on your first encounters with the movie? Like how that compares to how you view it now, uh, uh, nostalgically? Any anything, John or Chris? Um, I bet he can't grow that glorious mane anymore. Oh, definitely not. Short, no, Paulie Short's had short hair for years. Yeah. Oh, no, years I know he's had short hair, but I don't know if that was a balding thing or if he could actually grow that glorious thing again. Because that was... Was it crimped? Does he just have... No, he's just got curly as hell hair, I think. Mm -hmm. Awesome, 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 crazy, hair. curly, frizzy hair. I mean, it's literally like Carrot Top. Yeah. But brown and buddy. Buddy. Yeah, that probably... I mean... He didn't do the weasel him. one fucking time in this Because movie. that you wasn't the character. He wasn't the weasel. I don't... Okay, if we're claiming that he is the terrible, he's cast as the Polly Shore character, he's always the weasel. <laughs> no, 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 no. And he most definitely was the fucking you, weasel. Do you see how he fundamentally wrecked everybody's lives? Yeah, and then put them all back together? Crawl. Like, the, was the weasel was that Polly Shore. Like, and, the and Pauly Shore. if we're gonna go meta, there was the cross with Encino Man, there was, where he was yeah. like, oh, so he was totally the weasel. The weasel and Crawl are the same person. Uh, I think, Done. I win. I think we're Continue. verified that it isn't by the freshman year photograph. The the weasel Fred? and crawl yeah. are not the same person. Um, Polly Shore is an immutable force within the universe, constantly reincarnating wherever he is needed. Mister uh, Mister at times, at times he crosses paths with his other selves, such as the Encino Man moment, and he remembers. Oh, at one point I was the weasel. And this is also why Pauly Shore always ends up being the same person. This is why Fred, which is his real name uh, in this movie, he shows you the picture. He was a complete nerd, a dork, uh, smarty-arty type, like wore a tie to picture day, apparently, in high school. Uh, <laughs> freshman year college. I thought freshman that was like your, 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 that was his freshman year college. But I was thinking like senior photo where you have to wear that fake-ass tuxedo bib. You know what I'm talking about? Remember when you went and took those shots? No, no, no nobody ever what? made me wear a tuxedo. No, no, no. <laughs> for for senior picture day, whatever the 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 big huge company that everybody used, you you put on two things. They made you put on that half-ass uh, green graduation photo. It was not a full gown. Yeah, it was like a little fucking like priest collar that they put around, and it had a little green thing. And they did the same thing with a tuxedo. It was like it was like a jacket and just a fucking bib, priest collar that went around. And then you got your five poses of whatever fucking outfit you wanted to wear. And then you got your tuxedo and then your green graduation cap. That's what it reminded me of. He was in his tuxedo bib photo. And this is where we roll into the segment of uh, the meat and potatoes of the whole podcast. Like, uh, the, uh, where we each give our view, our lens on what we just God, saw. God, this is fucking pot roast. Does it best. <laughs> Just pot roast at best. Yeah. Start us off. What? What? I mean, what's? Why is it pot roast at best? And uh, <laughs> I feel like a lot of the '90s movies were pot roast at best. I mean, that, yeah. It, it's the formula. Yeah. 
It's an uh, see, oversaturation I, thing more than is it They an, were churning out just movie after movie after movie after movie. Was it coming off of... And that, this will be a whole nother episode and maybe not even on the show, but is it coming off of the back end of the 80s trying to keep up? Or did we move into this fucking goofy era for a little while and then kind of... So this figured is out what worked and transitioned out. This is something that came up <clears throat> when we were watching the movie last night, which is that this film was made for you for, and me. Well, it was made for the generation that grew up in the mid to the late 80s, but it was marketed for the generation that was growing up in the early 90s. Which yeah. gives you your family, your family film marketing, your... I, I don't think it does. Like, like this movie was specifically not made for kids. It was not made for preteens. It was it was produced to be kind of a college stoner comedy, right? Yeah. Like, we are making a movie for the seventeen to twenty three year year old demographic. Yeah. But hold on, what <laughs> if we rein it in a little bit? Just a little bit. And we put a PG-13 label on it, which really could pass for... If this movie released today as is, it would be PG. I'm pretty sure, right? No. They would they would bump it up to PG-13 because the PG rookies. movies don't make any... They'd probably add a fuck or something that would make it PG-13. Yeah. 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 But, but yeah, it, it wasn't one of those movies that was, like, being held back necessarily, but it, the film... Made, somewhere in that production, there was a shift in what the studio was trying to accomplish with this movie. And I feel like you can actually see that shift throughout the course of the film. Especially if you look back, one of the things I did last night after we finished it up, I went back and, and watched the trailer Yeah. for Son-in-Law. And like, this was very clearly a family friendly we're churning out this comedy we're, but we're still gonna ride on the coattails of Encino Man hype mm -hmm. right so like we are taking American Pie and we're spinning that off into uh, Meet the American Cruise. Pie Presents yeah, well, it's no, not you're, the American doing... Pie family it's just uh, something said in the American Pie you can pie very world. obviously see where <clears throat> this was supposed to be or not even supposed to be but it could have been a R-rated teen titty comedy yeah uh, for, but for they... the college crowd sure but they... rather than doing that they wanted to be able to uh, sell it to everyone anyone I could take I could show it. anyone in my family this movie and there's one character in there that every single person can relate to yeah 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 <clears throat> Whether it's the mom who hasn't felt pretty in a while, or the dad who's got uh, dad issues, who you know doesn't see the same fucking pattern, uh, the crazy college kid who never wants to move forward with his life, the the repressed uh, high school chick who <coughs> grew up on a small farm town who gets a taste of freedom and goes crazy, um, shit, the local. We'll call him the local college or local high school hero who doesn't get to go to college, uh, ends up having to take over at the factory or the local job, and then gets the, lo the local job. And then I, I gets, what, what the fuck did that guy do, Travis? What was his job? Okay, some kind of we know for a fact that he had an office with a cow calendar where he put on and he wore a suit and took off a jacket. 
<laughs> it was not his high school Letterman jacket. It's the only it one of the few times jacket. that he did not wear that high school Letterman jacket. I think it was like that, and then the dinner scene, like that first awful proposal. Uh, Those are like the only points in the film. I mean, since which, you're kind of our technical guy and performance guy, first I'll ask, what do you think about the things like that, where like the little subtle nods, where it's like, oh no, this guy is so stuck in town and in high school that he won't take off his Letterman jacket for anything. Uh, as well as like the performances, Travis's performance in particular. Uh, yeah, okay. It reminded me, if I, and this is a movie, probably ten years. It's junior. It's younger than this movie. Anyway, Varsity Blues. Yeah. In the opening of Varsity Blues, they have the house party, mm-hmm. and they go outside. And he's like, damn, you look a little old to be at these high school parties. And he's like, I'm an alumni, 28 years old. I never miss these things. And he's like, all right, you ready to be on camera? And he's like, fuck yeah. And he's like, put this pot on your head. And he goes, can you say I'm a big, dumb, soup, uh, stupid son of a bitch who's about to get hit in the nuts? And he's like, what? Boom! And he lands him in the nuts. I feel like that's kind of where this fell. Goldfish brain, 30 seconds, reset. Lost where I was going. What were you asking me? So I acting bad. It was oh no, uh, set in his ways. So he was the boyfriend was that old character, Travis. Yeah, Travis. Well, he would eventually be Travis, that guy. Travis turns up to be that the that character in Varsity Blues. He would end up still being that guy who would try to show up to the high school parties. You know, he had his heart broken. He feels like that's his only dream. He's gonna ride off being the fucking quarterback all-star in that small town forever yeah you know maybe he owned a goddamn car dealership and everybody's like well we always go by from travis he was the local star and now he sells everybody cars yeah yeah <clears throat> so i i can see where that happens especially in a small town they play that story a lot um and this time it just wasn't centered on the all-star kid who had the one break and then he got the injury and then he didn't get to go to college and then his life was fundamentally ruined, only he didn't have a baby. Yeah. Didn't, you know, he didn't get pregnant. You know, he didn't get a chick pregnant. He tried to propose three fucking times. <laughs> Why, Travis? Why? Because he will only ever know love from Becca or that one sheep down down the way. Down the way. What was, what was her name? Chris? Becca. Her name was Becca. The no, 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 no. Tracy. No. Tracy. Oh, oh. Tracy. Hands yeah. on Tracy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But did she get hand jobs? No, but at any point he could have gotten a hand job from Tracy and it would have solved all of his problems. He convinced this woman to strip for like all of the guys they went to high school with. I don't with even think and Pauly Shore. asked her to do that. I think she was just like, No, he had, that was the favor he wanted to do. Yeah, he very he specifically to do. asked her At, at one point, while they're at the hoedown, and we're getting way out of order, they're at a hoedown, and they're hoedown, and they're square dancing, and he says, well, Grab your partner, Do-C-Do, and can get I her get, ass and let her go! Tracy, can I get a favor from you? And she says, oh, Right here? She would have given him a hand job standing right there no, no, no. and solved... All of his problems. Well, no. Have you ever walked around with goo in your jeans? That's not comfortable. Then you got to go home, change, or at least toss your underwear. You got to give yourself like a dick wash inside the bathroom. Yeah, but he would have been fine. Been getting hand jobs. He would have been fine. There is no room to breathe inside a pair of Wranglers. You can't tell me that motherfucker dosy doed in a pair of loose fit boot cut Levi's. That motherfucker would have gotten raw dogged 
inside of a goddamn barn with no AC. That leads to ultimate chafing. Then you got to walk around. It feels like someone snotted down your goddamn pants. Maybe he had it tucked up and it shot all up his shirt. Maybe he had it angled down some weird way. Nobody knows. The point is, you're losing your pants and your underwear, and you are immediately having a change of clothes in your car, horse, whatever but, the fuck you came to the hoedown in. But, I feel like at a certain point we have gotten away from the traffic cones. But at least at <laughs> least Travis would then have, have a whole new set of problems. You're right. He would have <laughs> blown his load. All that backed up for three months. Repression. And repression. And the one time when they open-eyed kissed in the barn right before she left. God, he's, he's been trying to get in those pants for all of senior and junior year, at least you would have finally blown his load, and then he would have thought about it, and he wouldn't have roofied Polly Shore. You think Travis was as oppressed as the dad? Oh, sexually? Yeah. So, oh, like, yes. he didn't even wank in that three months? It had, like, been, um, like, it had been three moons ages. Three moons ages? Since he said, Travis uh, had had a rise in month. his it's pants. The month. He the said, Mrs. The month. Mrs. Rebecca, <laughs> I have missed you dearly and thought about you every night. My dear. This hand does not have love for any other man or woman but you. I cannot wait to stroke your loving hair and play with your titties in the barn hay. <laughs> You mean sweet, sweet nugs, bruh? Yeah! Sweet, <laughs> sweet nugs. Sweet nugs. Listen. Every time I look at your mother, I see you. Look, there, there is... In all of this, a plot to the movie. I promise to the viewer. I mean, at a certain point, there is, but we don't even get to... We, we don't get to the plot until... The Polly farm. Shore shows up. No, no, no. The, I, I would argue against that. The entire plot get of the, to the movie farm. takes place within the first 15 minutes and the last 30. Everything else is just a series of montages and jokes. It's all a bunch of just, uh, like, uh, it feels like it could be a bunch of short slapstick sketches. Uh, uh, it feels like a sitcom. It yeah. was written as a sitcom. Could have been. Could it have been? I, I do believe that this 100% could have been written. Nah, Netflix perhaps. original 13 episodes. Uh, yeah, this this is first 13 episodes. Uh, is this just The Ranch? It's The uh, Ranch? No, it's called uh, Hey Dude Ranch the movie. It would be called... Um, Remember Hey Dude Ranch? No. Oh, you're fucking just a little too young. Where's my ranch, bro? What the hell is Hey Dude Ranch? It's on Nickelodeon. It was just uh, called Hey Dude. Hey, dude. Uh, I vaguely remember that. Very vaguely. It would be called uh, either Hollywood Farm or 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 L.A. Farms or something like that because it's all about how this weird like Polly Shore, Polly L.A. Hills. character uh, shows up. And actually, the way that it would probably go. And the way that it seems that it goes anyway is that it was supposed to be about this not this girl who goes to college and comes home and is kind of weird uh, to her family now. But, it, they, you know, they're still a loving family on their farm. Oh, she's kind of... And then Steve Urkel-type character in Pauly Shore is guest stars and steals the show. And from then on, uh, you, you know, you accidentally decide to write in to keep him around. That they uh, they have a fake proposal because the audience loves this uh, Steve Urkel esque character, and then you finish it out. Dude, this whole fucking only in the in the fact that like uh, he steals the show. 
Yeah. Like None he's a side really character who 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 completely steals the show. He does. Yeah. And then you does. would structure the entire sitcom around them living in the barn. Like Are they Travis dating asked, or not? Who is this guy? What? Like Travis asked, who is this who guy? Who is this guy? Who is this guy? For yeah. Thanksgiving? This movie is the first season of Smallville with no powers. <laughs> oh god, no, the power is the power of love. And also Rufinol. Like I mean like literally Rufinol this exact same Lana Lang and uh, Jock Boyfriend. Yeah. And then he like stays home and doesn't get to go to college because of some kind of injury or his fucking dad is dying or some shit. You know, cue up sad story there. The saddest. Uh, crazy, awkward, weird Superboy Clark wins over girl. Except for he's not funny. Just this bumbling idiocy, I guess, is funny. <laughs> I mean, the Heat Vision episode is always funny. funny. <laughs> that was about it. Yeah, yeah, Heat Vision episode is funny. Do you think, uh. Do you think, does this movie classify as a coming of age movie? Or maybe not a coming of age movie, coming into your own? Because it's not really coming of age, but. Or yeah. is this just a. I mean, if you think about it, she just. This is She just blatantly just lies to everybody. No, the, there are. This are, movie could have been wrapped up in 20 minutes. There she just would have told the truth. There are exactly three characters in this movie who are different from the characters they start out at when the movie finishes, and only one of them gets any semblance of an organic character progression. Yeah, nobody comes of age at any point. No, uh, if, this, if this was like a coming into your own or a coming of age movie, the so whole thing would have taken place at college. Would you say late rebellious teen movie? Though? I don't even think it would have no. to take place at college. I think more than three and a half minutes of it would. I mean, yes, no, definitely. It, but it wouldn't have to uh, fully take place at college. If it was a coming-of-age movie, either you, uh, Becca would actually have to make a growthful, like a growing change. Yeah. Because at no point does she stop being a, an 18-year-old petulant child who's just mad at her parents. It's not about how she dresses and, like, her change in character that way. Like, she never changes in character in a not lying to my mom and dad, not being upset, her, her not rebelling against them. never changes. Yeah, at, at no point does any of that change. If this was a coming-of-age movie... She gets movie, a cool makeover montage. If this was a coming-of-age movie, she would get that cool makeover montage, be a, a petulant bitch to her parents when she comes home, and then, you know, reel it back in, realize that she can have the dyed hair and the cool clothes, but also grow up a little bit while she's at college. Uh, that would be a coming-of-age movie. Or, if you make Polly Shore the main character, and it's a coming-of-age movie, it would be about Polly Shore realizing that he can't just stay at college at any point. And they try to hit those beats a couple of times. They just never follow through with them. They oh. turned it into a montage of jokes. I'll say that the Polly Shore character in this film, Crawl, easily is the most matured character in the entire film from the get-go. Like, yeah, he's been in college for six years, he keeps changing his major, he doesn't know what he wants to do, but he genuinely makes good decisions with forethought every single time he does, I mean, basically anything in this movie. 
There, there is nothing that that character says or does that is purely spontaneous just for the sake of spontaneity. It I mean, does not happen. Not only that, but you're also, you, you might be dealing with a perpetual student, but you're also dealing with a perpetual student who apparently excels at the things that he does. Not only in school, because they never make mention of him failing out or having to repeat or having to do anything like that. He just keeps he changing majored, his major. Yeah, he majored in this an X for two semesters, for one semester, for what, 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 what have you. Not only that, but he excels at all the other things he does that you actually see him do yep. in the in the film like he he has a natural aptitude for apparently everything i mean farming he, driving a combine and cpr he is so willing to learn and get better at it like every everything that he comes across that's supposed to be a deterrent for his character he's just like no i didn't find my groove yet let me get back at it tomorrow so does that help breaking a trope around that type of character uh i i think that what it does is it it helps break down that wall of like we have the quintessential stoner character that's going to be the comedic foil whatever whatever and it, it really does do a good job of breaking down that character trope but that's also a trope that i feel like came of the the formulaic movies from that era of the 90s like i wouldn't say that this necessarily breaks that trope because i think this almost precedes it I don't know. This is indicative of that trope. I mean, like, Pauly Shore is distilled 1993. Not only is he, like, pure distilled 1993, he is the, the poster boy for the weird stoner, almost charming, but sort of creepy, smartass... But in no way is he a burnout. ...archetype. They still present him as a burnout, though. Like, even when he's doing things, the way he speaks, the things he says, his mannerisms are still burnout things. Right, uh, but he himself like successful is burnout. not one. I mean, right? at no point does he is he successful. They, 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 they never grade him as successful. And even last night when we were uh, con uh, discussing the movie after, uh, after we watched it, uh, you kept referring to him as an idiot. Uh, the idiot does this, the idiot does that. Like, the way that they present him is still bumbling idiocy, whether or not somehow he makes it through uh, in the end. Is, is, is he presented as an idiot, or is he presented as just aloof, and all the other characters interpret that as him being an idiot? Because at every single turn, he completely wows whoever he comes into contact with. Like, the brother even admits, oh, you're just a super smart computer hacker like me. <laughs> just dressed up like a loser you're disguised as a loser in the right? 90s anybody who in 1993 anybody who could use a computer was a hacker okay but for real though some of Been the things that came bro. up on the screen when Polly shore was typing are not keys that a computer created. like like those were ancient celtic sigils he was calling on his powers as a trickster god. He is. Uh, he is the trickster god of this uh, movie and perhaps yep. of the universe, the so, Polly Shore multiverse. But going back to it, like, we look at Becca, right? Becca assumes that this guy is a pervert and an idiot at the beginning of the movie when she first meets him at college. Because he kind of is. He is a pervert. And but then we have the idiot. turnaround montage <clears throat> where he never comes on to her. 
He never does anything or says anything fucked up. He just wants her to be her best self. I was going to say, if only that, she transitions pretty flawlessly before they go to the farm uh, as a wingman. Right, right. She becomes his wingman, and they have a great time, and at no point is he actually playing the idiot horny college loser, that's right? That's not... Well, he just doesn't do it with her. I mean, well, they he, were doing it on the no, beach. He, uh, no, in the beach, though, like, all of that, like, at no point does he play the idiot college loser. Like, they are actually connecting. He's being a real person. That's when He's I... He's treating I, I, her like uh, a real person. I wrote down that he was being the best bisexual boyfriend ever because, like, what they... Like, they just hang out on the beach and check people out and, like, hang... Uh, rollerblade and their fucking mesh t-shirts and all this other bullshit. And then you get to the farm and he does the same thing with every character there. Middle America. Feeling middle America. Even the mom when he gives her the makeover. Every single character in that film approaches the crawl character as if this guy's a burnout, this guy's a moron, this guy's a loser and every single time he proves them wrong. That's why it was okay for her to cheat on her husband, right? I mean they totally had sex in the bathroom. Oh yeah, no, the mom did. Carol was banging. Specifically Crawl. In the bathroom. In the bathroom during the makeover. When he walked in on her. Yeah. And then shooed the husband away and said, I'm gonna go with Crawl, we'll be there later. Yeah, we'll be there in just a minute. Crawl and I are right behind you. Well, he's right behind you. I think I've seen that porno. At least the intro to that porno many times. (laughs) Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. No. So I assume it's shot in the same kind of grainy Technicolor nineties. Of course. Yeah. But yeah, I, I you best know, viewed I, on VHS. It, it is one of those things Two where televisions. we do going back to does this break that kind of character mold? I think it absolutely does. Technicolor squibbles. I mean, I, I, I maybe it does. I, I don't know if it is a breaking of that character mold as much as it is or, or, just that character mold. Or any again. of your expectations for what that archetypical character would do in this movie, Matt? I mean, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, I mean, yes, yes, because. I, I honestly believe that like this character, especially the Polly Shore type, uh, was always presented to us as a ultimately good-hearted, well-intentioned, and uh, great person. Like, but is he a savant? Because in this movie, he's a fucking savant. Like that—that I think thing. I don't know. I mean, I haven't seen Encino Man in a while. Future episode. Okay. Uh, but like, I'm wheezing pretty... the juice, bro. I'm pretty sure that he does show up as something more. Uh, And if not, it's because he's a shitty high schooler who hasn't found himself yet. I I think that's what it is. Is like we take we we take this idea of this this iconic loser burnout stoner character. What what I think exemplifies that much closer is Matthew McConaughey from Dazed and Confused. Oh, I mean, yes, right. And what Polly Shore gives us here, like if we're saying this fits into that same archetype, Polly Shore's like the the Bobby Fisher of this archetype in this movie. Like he, at, at all surface level, this appears to be your your typical stoner burnout character that's just thrown on a slab and he's going to do something funny and we don't get any real progression from him. But I think he does absolutely and continuously break that expectation throughout the course of the film. Whether or not he 
does things that are indicative of that archetype, I don't think is actually something that speaks to the character itself. That's just slapstick. I mean, yeah, there is all of that. He is a... In the end, he is, like, the... Gen Xiest of all Gen X like character archetypes uh, uh, that I remember growing up with, Polly Shore in general, and this one for some reason, just like in particular, he 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 makes me uh, really see how much we were presented that character as a cool, down to earth type of character who was not yeah. only relatable but who you might strive to be in a weird way. I mean, all all Pauly Shore wants for this entire movie is for everyone to be the best version of themselves they can and to be friends with everyone, right? Like, his immediate response to Theo is, I want this guy to like me. Yeah, yeah. He, he did genuinely want that large, mulleted, homophobic uh, uh, farmhand. farmhand to like him. You know, you mean we're not gonna be? What was his name? Out? Randy Theo. Theo. That was close. Were you? Yeah. Theodore. Theo and Randy is very close to one another. <laughs> they're they're basically the same thing. Of course, they're letters in the alphabet. Everybody knows this. I was only twenty five characters away in either direction. <sighs> <laughs> I don't think that's how the alphabet works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> technically that is exactly how the alphabet works. Is it wrap around like that? <laughs> Who says it? It's full circle. Maybe you just have to make right and left turns. This is Michael Coe from the Punk Rock and Politics Podcast, and you're listening to some of the best podcasts available on the internet, only on the No Phony Podcast Network. Hey, this is Leah, and I am one half of the hosting team from Autobiography Book Club, and you are listening to a podcast on the No Phony Podcast Network. Hey, this is Ben from BS3 Sports and Music, and I'm proud to be a part of the No Phony Podcast Network. Visit our website at nophonynetwork.com to be on top of all the great shows and follow us on all of our social media sites. Hi, everybody. This is Two Girls on a Bench, the podcast. We're here to tell you that the No Phony Podcast Network is on Patreon. So because money makes the world go around, donate to this group of amazing podcasters. The website is nophonynetwork.com and on Twitter at phonyno. Bye. Sundial. Can we get back to the cones? You got any arguments, John? You got any? You got any? You got any positions to take on this film and whether or not it goes into the oh. millennial filmography uh, lexicon vault? Yeah, Such a mouthful. So, so what I'd like to do here is I just I just want to break down the progression the of this film real quick. For the viewer. <laughs> the movie opens with a graduation ceremony, and it is essentially silent. The valedictorian, or maybe it's the principal, is giving some sort of speech about college, whatever. Nobody fucking cares. It's Becca. No, no, is it Becca? Yeah, Becca is the valedictorian. Right? No one cares what Becca has to say about anything, because we learn 
everything we need to know about every other character in this film by seeing them panned over during graduation. Mm, I don't know. If I mean, you, you hadn't seen the movie, you didn't know Travis was going to be the villain. I don't know, man. It it it, it could feels, have been some weird Theo. It feels like when we see him and Tracy sitting together, we we immediately get the idea that he's enamored with Becca and that Tracy is enamored with him, and that is such an '80s thing for it a could, to start I'm off. Sure, with. if we're gonna go with '80s thing, it could have easily been Theo and Tracy though to set this whole thing up. It could have been. Um, and I mean, it ends up that way. So, I mean, yeah, I would say 90% of it, yes. Absolutely. But you're not even set, you're not setting up the what they're going to do. Villain is not you're a character, setting up the character. Uh, personality. Like, the first thing that you see of, uh, of Travis when they pan over the crowd is he takes his diploma and he does a jerk-off motion while the principal is talking. Yeah. Uh, and Tracy is sitting right beside him laughing far too much and, like, doing the, the, you know, the touching him on the arm and leaning towards him until Becca Valedictorian is pulled up. So you immediately get there. She's the smart one. Not only is she smart, but she's going to be successful, uh, as seen by the way that her family reacts to her getting up. You then see that Travis is completely enamored with her and kind of scared in that first moment when he jumps up to clap because she's giving her speech. Uh, like, yeah, no, you, you get every character uh, in that in that one scene. Uh, without much dialogue and a pan shot. So so we go from there to this awkward, Becca's going off to college, mom and dad need to go drop her off, and dad's giving her the sex talk. And the, the one of the things I find really interesting in this movie that again came up in our discussion last night is the idea that the dad might just be basically asexual. I mean, I don't think the dad's asexual at all. He was obviously absolutely not. kids uh, being just a normal puritanical bullshit father. He was, but it didn't seem to like when he gives that very genuine huh response to his daughter when she says, "You don't need to give me the sex talk." It it feels like he is someone who is aware. That as a father, he is supposed to have this conversation with his daughter. But the words are just things he's saying. It isn't like he's having a conscious thought go through his mind where he's like, I need to protect my daughter from, you know, all the guys that are going to try and have sex with her and all the parties and stuff. He's just going through the motions of what he is familiar with or has identified with as the father of a college-age daughter. But, I mean, I, I, that, is that because, you know, A, that's just what people do robotically, especially, and that's, you know, that's, the, that's what little character he has in general is to be puritanical father, or, or is it also because he's, like, just so detached from his family and the outside world that I think he's it's just a spewing words at her that he thinks he's, he, he can say? Like, he knows these words fit together like this, well, but he's, he's never really seen the outside So world. these are genuine concerns that he has. I, I think, think Dad that, never left either? No, Dad absolutely never no. left. And if he did, it was not for long. Yeah. Um, I, I think that the, you know when he says boys move much faster in the city than they do around here, it it's coming from a place of like, man, my daughter's going away. She's going to come back married, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it doesn't feel like he's... 
so I mean especially when we get to the college scene and we see a dude's towel come off and she does like the long gaze at the dick going down the hallway or whatever at no point does he seem like he is being protective of his daughter's sexuality it's like he's not aware that that's a thing uh, he's pretty shocked at the he says whoa when like hurries his daughter into the dorm I don't know. He doesn't really hurry her. She gets like a full 15 he seconds. He wants to leave at that To point, lean though. back and go back here and look through the hallway that this guy just walked down. He's more worried about the fact that his wife is just standing there in complete shock and awe of the whole thing. And then he turns back to grab Becca by the shoulders and turn her around and continue moving her down I the think hallway. More that might just show how much of a disconnect he has with his daughter. Not, I think it's a complete. It feels like a complete disconnect. Like he is not really aware of the circumstances of anything that's going to be happening from that point forward. So, so we go, and also I'd also like to point out just the shirt that Zach, the little brother character, is wearing. In that college scene, the seduce me, please. Yeah. Like, that's funny. Like you said last night, though, nobody here's parents will let them get away with that. Nobody would let me get away with that, but uh, him being what I now realize is basically our generation in that movie. Like, yeah. he, was, he was put in that movie for us to relate to playing his Game Boy. That was Jonah Hill. His sarcastic... His sarcastic t-shirts, like all of these weird things. He's obsessed with computers. I just, I, I, I mean, I just find it funny uh, that that one kid is wearing this incredibly strange sarcastic t-shirt, and not one millennial I've ever known has ever taken off their stupid sarcastic t-shirt right. since I've known them thirty years later. But even even when we examine that character, the the little brother and the way things happen around him, I think it all leads to this idea that the father is so completely disconnected from the things that are happening around him. It's like all the sex stuff just flies over his head. When we move from the hallway into Becca's dorm room, the little brother immediately starts pulling thongs and bras out of her new roommate's dresser. Yes. And the only one who finds any of that off-putting or even remotely weird is Becca. Yeah. Literally no other character says anything about it even when the brother puts this woman's bra on, on his, his head, head and he just walks around like it, the best the mom can do is roll her eyes and the dad just doesn't seem to understand any of the implications here. So, so we go from there to this oh my god lesbians moment where we find out that the roommate is gay. That's where the father actually has a problem with anything sexual. Whatsoever is when it happens oh, directly when, in front of him. Directly in front of him when he when he sees what you know, like there could be dicks flopping around in everyone's face, and he would not have noticed. But if one actually came into contact with someone's face, well, now we've broken this veil of 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 disbelief and of ignorance. Um, it, it's so bad. I mean, I mean, the entire room stops to point out that these two women are lesbians. The entire room. The movie actually stops. stops to point out that these women yeah, are lesbians. Yeah, the music stops. The movie itself comes to a screeching halt to let them kiss each other really, really deep. 
And it's a big deal. It's a big no. deal, y'all. You need to know how big a fucking deal. Holy is. shit, lesbians! Kiss deep with tongue in mouth. So, uh. so moving along here, we we get Becca's college experience. Day one, there's a party, and the Encino man is there. He eats a frog. It's hilarious. But she's not having a good time, and she wants to go home. She goes to make the phone call, and Polly Shore stops her. Yes. Which leads us into our first of many montages, right? Yeah, that's where the, you know, well, first he explains to her, you know, who he is, where he's from, how he became Crawl, Crawl. and how he's been here for six years, he's majored in everything. <laughs> yes, he's majored in all of it. And we, we get that montage, we get the transformation montage where Becca cuts her hair, she dyes it, she gets new clothes, she starts being cool, right? And then we get to Thanksgiving break. It's time to go home. Crawl is staying here for the holidays. No, he's not. Come back to the farm with me. And almost immediately on the farm, we get another montage. It it has so we we get there. Becca starts using her parents' first names to address them. Yeah. Travis has some concerns. Uh, Theo introduces himself as, like, the perfect foil for everyone, right? And then we go back to the barn for Travis to propose to Becca for the first time throughout the movie. Yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, he proposes basically as soon as they land. And she knew that he was, she pretty much, like... She had that idea she that had to something was going to happen. That he would, yeah. Um... Been thinking a lot about us lately. Yeah, on all the phone calls. And then we get the '90s computer hacking scene <laughs> immediately after that. The random banging on keyboards. The random banging on keyboards. The the Rob Lee filled posters in the back. All of those Rob Lee filled posters um, in the background. Which is and and as soon as that connection is made between. The crawl character and Zach, the little brother, is when we move into the next montage, which is crawl goes country and starts working on the farm uh, and trying to. No, no, because crawl does not start working on the farm until after the engagement. Until after. Well, they... I should say he starts fucking shit up no, on the farm. Yeah, he starts. He starts being. He starts fucking with everybody around him. Yeah. In weird ways, uh, and then. Becca wants to take him clothes shopping because he wants to fit in with yeah. her people. Yeah, so that that's what we get that we get that crawl goes country montage where now he, he has, has to go bottom. through the transformation. Yeah. Um and then we get another proposal scene after that. We get we get Travis doubling down at the dinner Tra party. Never fucking double down. If du you, always uh, double down. No, if, if, if you are proposing to a woman, especially in a barn, especially if she's come home for the first time from college. And it uh, doesn't go your way. After three get months. Get the entire town in one room in formal attire and propose in front of everyone. That bitch will say yes. And or, or, or her bescarfed Possibly bisexual, strange best friend who came, who was alone on Thanksgiving will jump up in the middle of your proposal and over propose you because you keep stepping on his foot, telling him do something, do something, do something. Look, so and then get mad when he does something. 
And then he get she gets mad when he does something. I so mean, we, they did destroy Travis. Becca actually looks at Polly Shore and says, "We destroyed Travis." I I would like to point out the movie fully understands that it destroyed Travis. This movie never had an antagonist. <laughs> like to they begin with, there is no villain in this movie. So does that mean? Like the Marvel movies that we've been watching recently, you can feel bad for Travis? Uh, no, because he roofies two people. But <laughs> yeah. I, I think... Do you feel bad for Travis up until a point? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. No, I mean, his heart was absolutely crushed. Yeah. Uh, they, 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 they destroyed Travis... Uh, because he uh, because of Polly Shore's pre-posing. And now that we have... Have and now none of us ever done things out of revenge that maybe we probably should not have done? Not condoning the roofies. Okay, Let's put that that's out the thing, right now. It's like shitty things that I have done to get back at someone else is like... I don't know. I didn't actually put that job application that you gave me in the bin at work. Right. Yeah, I'm gonna, right. I'm, gonna like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, uh, anonymous story. Two people. Yeah, yeah, no, there's no like. Uh, I mean, I don't feel bad for Travis once he starts doing things. Like I said, Travis should have just taken Tracy up on that hand job because that's all Travis actually wanted was to get off. True. I yeah. mean, yes, his heart was broken, but. If he would have just gotten off, he probably would have forgotten about it eventually. Probably would have been fine. <laughs> but don't we all feel bad for Walter White up until a certain point? Um, nah, nah. He wanted when, when he, he he wanted every inch of that. But when he yeah. switched into a purely villainous role, that's when you're like, Nye. I don't know. I was like, fuck yeah, I'd be Walter White too up until a point. He kills th two to three people immediately in really vicious, vile ways and dissolves their bodies and it's like he wanted all of that at a certain point his first evil act isn't so deep into that series as people want to think it is like he he's dissolving bodies in bathtubs by episode three he crossed that point immediately yeah he crossed the point of no return immediately i was a chemist and i killed somebody and i knew how to dissolve a body i would fucking do it too okay he crossed the line. He, he crossed the point of no return. This is not a Breaking Bad podcast, though. True. But anyway, so so we get this this preposal thing. The family's not happy about it. They want to know how Carl's going to take care of their kid. And we get another montage out of it. We are three montages deep into this movie, and I still have another page of notes here. And this is barely 30 minutes into the movie, yeah. Yeah, this is like maybe 40, 45 minutes in at this point. Maybe. I mean, it, maybe. Um, but this is where all your jokes start to come in. All your good jokes come in in, in these, uh, the farming montages. That's where all the best shit happens. Yeah. It's when Polly Shore is trying to pretend to be a farmer. Uh, yeah, more or less. Well, this is when he's actually starting to be a farmer. This is where we get him driving a combine and carving his name in cursive seamlessly into a cornfield that for sure he would have had to been up all night planning. <laughs> like, how do you just instinctively understand the width and the depth of the things that you are going over with a fucking quarter million dollar combine? You play video games and treat the combine as it's a It's 1993, bro. What fucking joystick. game were you playing? Excitebike? 
Ah, you're playing uh, flight simulators. It was clearly that entire gear shift what was set up simulator? like a flight simulator. There's a ton of flight simulators in 93. Yeah. What good flight simulator? And also, he still curved, he's carved his name out in cursive into a cornfield in a massive combine that, for the first half of the time he was in it, was completely covered. He didn't even know the thing was turned on. There's no way the first half. The this brings us back to the fact that Polly Shore is an immutable trickster god force within the universe who reincarnates and just knows everything. He enters people's lives to uh, incite strange chaos and change. And then should leave, which he doesn't do in this movie, unfortunately. He doesn't do, because everything that happens because of Polly Shore in this movie happens because someone else acts upon Polly Shore. He's legitimately just treated as a tool by everyone else in the film, right? So, so we go through this whole farm montage... Uh, we get to the hoedown after Polly Shore has has remade uh, Connie, the the mother figure. He's given her a makeover. He probably fucked her in the bathroom while everyone else was down at the barn or whatever. Um, but he is having a positive effect on everyone around him, whether or not the proposal is a lie. People genuinely like this character now, for the most part. People are coming around on him. And this is where we get the Polly Shore is an MC scene where Polly Shore just takes over a hoedown. Yeah. Which I just want Buff to the point wood. out. Buff the wood. Like how fucking bizarre this whole thing is, right? So so we do that. We we have somehow fixed um the marital problems in the family we've connected with the little brother the only person who really seems to not like Polly Shore is the dad to an extent and then the grandfather right yeah but then we go fishing and Pap Pap has a fucking stroke or whatever and Polly Shore tries to give him mouth to mouth and now everybody loves the guy is there nothing that Polly Shore can't do uh Polly Shore can't get roofied he can't take a hit. He he can't he he can't take a hit. No, uh, because at the bachelor party, which I would just like to point out that like they decide to throw Polly Shore a bachelor party when we've seen no evidence that like yeah we know that they're engaged or they're saying that they're engaged. When are they supposed to be getting married? No, we don't know when they're supposed to be getting married. But we're gonna have a bachelor we've party. We've never seen them really touch. They or haven't kissed in front kiss. of anyone. Uh, They've never held hands. Grandpa ruined it. The only chance. But if they had ever kissed before, Grandpa wouldn't have been able to ruin it. And Pat Pop's been long, been around long enough to have to have realized that. Right. Like there is nothing about this couple whatsoever in the course of the film that would lead the rest of the family to believe that they're even actually dating. But they said that they're engaged, and we've heard nothing about it since then. So let's go ahead and have a bachelor party, right? Where Travis and Theo unfortunately roofie two people. Um, I I mean, they roofie Polly Shore, but it really looks like they were trying to kill him. They pour like six pills into that uh, that that beer. Oh yeah, no, they definitely overdo it. Like, and he tastes it on the last sip. You always taste it on the last sip. But they showed it that he tasted yeah. it on the last yeah. episode. Yeah. So we, we get Polly Shore roofied. We get Tracy yeah, roofied. Nice we thing. put them in the barn together. 
uh, Theo makes sure that they get caught. Becca walks in. She's so upset. I'm not sure why, because again, they're not actually engaged. Even if he did have sex with, with Tracy, who cares? Like, you've shown one scene worth of romantic interest in this character throughout the entire course of the movie, and it happened the day before? Which is very, very weird. At also, like, at no point or does it feel ever like Crawl and Becca are building a romance. Although it feels like they should be. Because they aren't. The whole, the, the entire crux of this film relies on the formula under which the film was made. There is nothing cinemagraphic about the movie, you know, like... Like, we aren't watching a story. This is just a series of things happening that we're supposed to take for granted are funny or go together in such a way that we are actually being told a story. Well, I mean, every character, every uh, place, every plot point is a stationary piece in a machine and... Uh, Polly Shore is, uh, is the ball in that pinball machine. Just I, I bouncing it, off of things, changing lights, making this spin, scoring points and over Becca here. Becca is standing outside just slamming those paddles as hard as she can so that she doesn't have to accept any amount of personal responsibility for anything. It was an hour and a half season recap. That's what it was. It was an hour and a half season recap for a show that never got fucking made. Like... This movie... Was a hell of a pilot episode. Exactly. It exists in this weird space where, like, this movie was not written. It was built. Like, we took Lego blocks of plot points and of ideas about character development without actually developing characters, and we just put them together. At the end of this movie... No one is changed. I'm gonna trump right? your Legos with a 90s trope of Erector set. Yeah, fuck it. It can be whatever you Bye want, man. Me. Roblox, it don't matter. Look, the point is, there's nothing organic about the way that this film is, is produced or written or or presented to the audience. You could call it an organic cookie cutter. Is it, though? It's a formula that works. It was not a... Here's the thing, though. Does did, it like, work? Did it actually did it work, work here? Because the movie is hot fucking garbage. Like, there are some I... formulate films that are still good. They're still done well. Well, yeah, I mean, I know it's not the show we're talking about, but look at if I think everybody saw the trailer for Aquaman. Yeah. Oh, was that not a shot-for-shot shot remake of the trailer from Black Panther? Oh, yeah. They just yeah, sent it underwater. super formulaic, and Aquaman looks like it will be a genuinely good movie, even though the trailer feels like something that I have seen a hundred times before, even if it's something that I specifically have seen. Even if it wasn't a hundred times before, I mean, you saw it last year. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but I think that's an example of a formula being implemented on something that is already working, That's right? what they did, though. No, I, I don't think it is. I feel like, I feel like when we, when we look at Aquaman, we're looking at the movie, like, we are going to make an Aquaman movie, and then we're going to use this formula 
to break to to make the trailer, right? I feel like they said we're gonna make a Polly Shore movie, but we're gonna use this formula. Uh, see, is, I feel like it came the other way. I think it was like we have this formula. Let's put Polly Shore in it, so we know that we make our money back. I don't even think that there was a formula. This feels like it was a script about a girl who goes off to college and finds some guy, comes back home, breaks up with her boyfriend, has big drama with her family, but ends up coming back around and everything being okay. Dawson's Creek. But it was just collecting dust in some studio executive's uh, drawer until somebody said, Hey, Pauly Shore needs a movie. Can we put Pauly Shore on a farm? And they were like, yes, yes, we can. Here's a script. Rewrite it, intern. Yeah, nowadays like it would seven be a, uh, yeah, that, that a Polyarabian movie. Where the comes in, right? Like, we have to hit these specific plot points. We need no actual development of characters outside of montages and characters that do change. In the case of Tracy especially, literally need to do an entire 180 in a single scene. Yeah. Right? Like... We're just going to take the way that we know how to build this thing. We're gonna. We're not making a movie here. We're making a product, right? We're going to sell Son-in-Law to people. Yeah. So let's just build it that way, and then we can insert whatever. Whatever doesn't work, we're just gonna insert the fucking montage over. But it. I don't think that that makes it hot garbage. To be particularly honest, I, it, this is not a good movie. But it's not. Garbage. It's a poorly paced movie. It's poorly paced. Oh, the it's poorly written. So There's Music little music. to no character. Like, like, yeah, Chris said, it. the score is so bad. Uh, but it's not hot garbage. It's perfectly enjoyable. Oh no, uh, it's and rewatchable. Man, I fucking love me some off-brand Doritos. Don't you dare try to tell me they're not literally hot garbage, though. Right, like, just because something is trash doesn't mean that we can't enjoy it. I'm not saying that, that, that you can't enjoy trash. I'm just saying that I don't, I personally don't think that this qualifies as being garbage, because I've seen garbage, uh, and garbage We've oh, watched enough schlock. <laughs> way different. Uh, you know, when it all comes down to it, I don't know if I would put this in the vault. But yeah. it's definitely a rewatchable movie. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I guess that does bring us down to like any like final arguments. This is you know, give me your this is wise. I, uh, I, you know, um, enjoyable movie. Uh, being a Polly Shore fan, again, this is all coming from Chris from the early '90s. So child Chris, I yeah. would need to go back and rewatch hell probably all of Polly Shore's movies that I think about: Encino Man, In the Army Now, Jerry Duty. Uh, oh God, Jerry! Dude. Fucking son in law. That was hot fucking garbage. Yeah. So all of those movies that you know, as a kid, you view Polly Shore through this one comedic lens. As an adult, having not viewed this movie in God, I'd probably say twenty years. Yeah, I mean, unless I saw it on TNT when you know they used to play the same fucking movie for a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and then it's heavily edited. So I probably wouldn't have caught all of the little nuance innuendos that they put into the movie. Um, but when I think about it from a cinematic point of view, outside of it was a funny slapstick comedy, I don't think it was well written. It was paced very well. I think it was left unfinished. Like I said, it does have that very 
sitcom feel to it, uh-huh. where you could have. It we I felt like we left off on a tenth episode cliffhanger, and we were waiting for somebody to say, "Give us the the season recap and to show us, you know, here's scenes from season two, and it's fucking old boy plotting his revenge on now Polly Shore and Chick, and maybe he goes up to the college and you know blah blah blah, you know. But you could see it totally progressing into some tween drama, comedy drama on Netflix. Hmm. Uh, so, if I had to, and I know we're not labeling just one Polly Shore movie to go into our movie vault here, but if I had to do it based off of uh, Polly Shore movies and how I felt about this movie, I wouldn't put it in there. So you're saying that, like, uh, first of all, uh, you would rather another Polly Shore movie go in if yes. you had to pick one. If I had to pick period, one. and you know, like that, those are. I mean, that's a, that's a cool parameter to put on it. And you're also saying that uh, technically, as a movie, you don't want you, you think this does not belong in, in the vault yeah, because I mean, of those reasons. Technically, on, reasons on a movie standpoint, over. if I was going purely tech, I think it half of it failed on a movies on a movie standpoint. Oh, easily. The other half, half of it, but. They captured... Alright, on the tech side, they failed, but on the relatable side, they totally accomplished their goals, in my opinion. I, I feel like, in, again, anybody that I showed this to, I would not be afraid to show this movie to my grandpa, who is a hardcore Catholic, uh, Catholic Christian. He could either relate to the grandpa, or he'll relate to the dad. More, off, uh, more than likely, he would relate to the dad. He's a very set in his ways. When I was a kid, we used to have a phrase... Uh, fighting with my grandpa was like fighting with the wind. You can swing and swing and swing and swing and swing, but you're never going to make contact. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to me, that's how the dad was. He was very, you can say whatever the fuck you want, sweetheart, but in the end, I'm right. You know? Uh, he even tells us as much. He says ex- the exact quote in the movie, I have a certain way that I like to do things, and that's the way I'm gonna do them. Now, if you could just give me some space, you would, you would have no problem showing this movie to your kids or somebody else. But you don't think that it it doesn't be define an era. Yeah, no. yeah, yes. In in my mind, it is a good film to view as a hey, here's something from my childhood. Yeah, but it's not a defining. This is going to, you know, this really sets apart this collection of movies that I'm trying to present to you that uh, I feel are a going to make a cultural difference. Maybe not even a cultural difference, a cultural impact. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't feel like it holds that weight, in my opinion. Where do you come down on it, John? This is why. So I, I think that this sneaks into the vault for all of the wrong reasons. I think that it is very, very quintessentially 90s. It's indicative of things that we were familiar with uh, being repackaged, rebranded, and sold to us as something new, even though they are familiar. They are things that we've seen before. There was nothing particularly fresh about this movie it wasn't pushing any boundaries it didn't do particularly well at the box office it's not i mean first time it did push the lesbian boundary 
With Only the, for with, its time. With a kiss? With a kiss? With one single yeah, kiss. Yeah, that's what happened in every team. Everyone freaked out about I don't think that was pushing any boundaries, man. We're looking at the same decade where, like, shit. Just, just name a movie. There, anything would have done a better job at pushing those boundaries than the one kiss with the the random roommate that just shows up again. Right. Once but what in the movies movie. from the '90s would we have watched? Unless we were watching way outside of our age category. Mm. Like you can say I nine mean, and a half weeks, but were you actively watching here, here, nine and a half weeks? Here's the thing: was this was this for our age range when it was released? Again, no, like, but that's what I'm saying. How many other movies outside of your age bracket did you really have to compare it to? Uh, I mean, in that time. In that time, I, I probably I like as enough. much as I think I had. I probably only had a very small catalog to pull from. I mean, beautiful creatures. Uh, any of those '90s Adam Sandler movies usually had some sort of like lesbian or raunchy sexual innuendo joke or like something going mm -hmm. on there like there was a whole i mean porkies i mean i know that's not our generation but, but teen titty like this is all like we were saying this is a teen titty comedy but made pg-13 like they always have because they lesbian. took all the teen titties out yeah they like they, they, there's always a lesbian scene we get the one lesbian kiss that's it like and that's probably indicative of the formula as well is like we know that we need to have the one in there yeah but we don't need to focus on it because we need to just get as many Polly Shore montages in this thing as we can. Which again, there's four in the movie. But you're saying that this sneaks into the vault for all those for those reasons. So I, I think that when when we talk about what goes in the vault, what we are really asking ourselves is does this movie have any sort of cultural significance that is indicative of this generation, right? Yes. I think there are better examples of that, though. But are oh, there I better? Agree. But are there better, worse examples? Right? Like, very this, possibly. I mean, this is again movie number one. I feel like we're gonna fall into a whole vein of these movies once we get going. I mean, yeah. we're, we're looking at the movies we grew up with, you know, this was this was brought up for a reason. Like, yeah. the idea that we're gonna look at other movies is not good enough for me to say, oh, you're right, this doesn't go in the vault, because other movies exist. No, this movie is so entertaining for no particular reason other than there was a, a room full of dudes who said, yeah, people will eat this up. Like, people will buy this. It needs to be funny in this way. The story needs to progress in these points. It was. It's literally just an outline. It's a paint-by-numbers movie. It, it's completely paint-by-numbers, and everything about it hits those notes that are quintessentially late 80s or early 90s. You know, we, we aren't saying that, or at least I'm not saying that this movie goes in the vault for any good reason. I'm saying that when you, when you look at any era of film history or, or any particular medium, you have to examine what was popular, even if it wasn't good, right? And there are so many things that are popular and not good and i think that this kind of exemplifies the, those early years of our generation's 
popular, funny, but not good. Like this movie is just was just churned out as pure entertainment value, and it gets that. But it also gets a 21% Metacritic score, right? And not because it's not because it's you know maybe maybe I was harsh earlier when I said that the movie was absolute garbage or it was hot garbage or whatever, but it's still not good. No. Right. But yeah, it right. is indicative of of what we grew up with. It is indicative of that era, and it it really kind of stands out at at shining a light on this is almost the cutoff for these things. Yeah, yeah. 1993 was about the end of that that thing. Right. Like it was it, it, it was about to become the late 90s. Like son-in-law is like the peak of what they could get away with at the time. And they definitely got away with it. I think for all of those reasons... Are you talking about how formulaic it was? How paint by numbers it was? Yeah, abso- absolutely. You know, like... I mean, there's is... been plenty of other campy movies. Oh, Batman it... Forever. Plenty of oh, campy. Oh, man, I can't wait till we get but to this... Batman Forever. But this isn't just camp. Like, this is legitimately just... It doesn't matter I mean, what it... you call the script. Just do it this way and put the funny guy in it. This is salting crackers and peanut butter. The movie, like it's 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 standard. It's is this not reliable. a better copy of Biodome though? Mm, I mean, to me, Biodome fits your best representation of the worst movie of this. No, Bi- Biodome takes it into a point where it's not even enjoyable anymore. Yeah, but Biodome is like I a forced body comedy, but. But it's also one of those movies that, like, we're going to put these characters in such an extraordinary situation that it's not really relatable anymore. Right? Like you said, you could show this movie to just about anyone you know, and there is a character that they relate to. Because the production team behind this movie needed that to happen. We have a set-in-stone way that this is going to be done, and it doesn't matter if it's good or not, people are going to watch it. Also, to what John was saying, like this is one of the last ones where they were squeezing that out, isn't Biodome a, what, 96 or a 95, maybe even a 97 movie? Like, it is the... It, 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 it's, it, it, yeah, it's it's Pauly Shore trying to continue the Pauly Shore thing after it's been as wrung out as it can be. And it's so ridiculous, it feels like he's also trying to introduce... Himself, he's like trying to ride his own coattails into the generation of half baked and Rocket Man movies and that kind of ridiculous scenario stoner comedy that we can also kind of market towards kids a little bit. Like, it, it doesn't really fit in that same realm, I don't think, but it does exemplify at least a portion of, of what we're trying to build with this whole film vault, which is like, these are the movies that are, for one reason or another, important to this generation. You know, I, if we're looking, if we're looking at good movies, no, this absolutely doesn't get in. You're 100% right. This has no, no business being in there whatsoever. But if we needed to hand something down to a future generation and say, this is the 90s? I think Son-in-Law is in there with, like, the label Best Worst 93 Comedy. I mean, I, I, I don't know if it would get that label, and if I'm coming down on, you know, my This Is Why, and after hearing the both of you, 
because uh, I, I, you know, I'm 30. I, I've never seen this before. I have no nostalgic connection to it. I, I, it's just a movie to me at a certain point. But in seeing it, I think that's not exactly it should be in because it's the best worst. I think that it should be in because it's so steeped in 1990s culture, in a part of 90s culture that we barely remember, like a good portion of our generation either barely remembers or wasn't really there for, but still would have affected us. Uh, like the these cultural things, these the, you know the fucking stupid ways the goddamn Polly Shore dresses, which goddamn it, I want to dress like him. Uh, uh, all of like say, weird things about the '90s that we would have been stewing in in our most early years uh, is all over this movie, and it's hard to capture that for any future generation in. Uh, in a simple way, a very simple way, without it seeming hokey and strange. Then maybe it was the score that did it for me, because there's no relatable music. I connect very heavily with oh. old school music, and oh, there's, there's nothing. There's you get, no. You get one uh, Spin Doctors track in the very early. Yeah, you get Little Miss yeah. Can't Be Wrong very early in the movie, which is the one, one the not one ninety three right. track that's in it. That and was like their entire budget yeah, for music. They spent though. a ton of money on that one license. So maybe, I mean, maybe that's why, in the long run, it kills it for me because there's no. <laughs> It, it, there's nothing that saturates me and just sinks me into the movie. Yeah, like yeah. I, that is not a movie I would play in the background ever. That is not something that I would just pop on and go do shit. And I, if I'm it, gonna if I'm gonna put that movie on, I'm gonna sit down and watch that movie. And if it it I, I can't say if it was the one thing that could make it more steeped in '90s culture, and we'll probably find a better movie that for that you know that that, that isn't a bad movie. Uh, it would be actually having those licensed tracks. Uh, uh, I think that that would be the one thing that would make this even more just quintessential. This was uh, that the would 90s. I think would sway me in the direction of absolutely this belongs in the vault. I think, but I think that that note on only having the one licensed song just goes back to how formulaic this was. Like we don't need a soundtrack. We just need like that one thing that came out last year that everyone still hears on the radio. And if we put it in the trailer, they will buy tickets to the movie. Yeah, yeah. You know, because you, like, look, it's the fucking Spin Doctors, alright? There was nothing really good about that band. Right? They had a handful of hits that all kinds of sounded the same. If we were gonna do a music vault, they get in for the same reasons I would say Son in Law gets in. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, there's a pocket some- full of. Yeah, there is something about this that just gets them in there, even though we're all cringing the entire time. But, I mean, two princes. I mean, they, they got it all. Spin Doctors got it all. No, I don't they know. had three songs. Nah. They had Kryptonite, they had Lomas Can't Be Wrong, and they had whatever you just said. Like, that was it. I don't even know the Kryptonite one. Got a pocket full of Kryptonite. I don't know that. That's about all I remember. And then they go, zip it dip No, that's two princes. Same thing with Rusted Root. Want to call me baby? To go ahead now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 garbage. And it's so fun and so entertaining and it just is that part of the nineties. Right, but if that song came on or multiple of those songs came on, 
I could see myself cooking, making fucking ramen noodles for the kids. Me like, oh fuck and that's why it would go in the. That's why, yeah, the pocket full of kryptonite, the album by the Spin Doctors, would one hundred percent go into the vault. Well, no, no, beyond the vault. It would sell that more as a movie to be played. Oh, in my oh yes, yes, yes. If there was more spin doctors yeah. in, if, uh, if they Law, did a whole like, if, if even if it was, movie. even if it was so to beyond the point where they wanted to go. We've been using the word meta so much. If he's listening to spin doctors while he's doing something, yeah, you know, it's not just the song that plays over over the montage, which you know we didn't get any fucking montage. relevant over yeah. the montage, montage songs. Say, yeah, I, I don't know. Like I said, great movie. In a way that kept me entertained and laughed, and it was funny and fucking. I enjoyed watching it last night. In but I in in the long run wouldn't drop this bitch in. And there are there are big points that I you know I. Uh, yeah, they do have some good one-liners though. No, I mean it's got some it's got some decent funniness to it, and it's got some uh, you know it's enjoyable to watch. It's rewatchable. It's rewatchable without even paying attention to it. You, you know, like it, it's got all of that about it. Uh, but it's not a good movie, and it's not it's not good. Like it's not fantastic. There's nothing to write home about really. But it it exists. And it's part of uh, our growing up. And it's part of the past. But I can absolutely see why you would want to not put it in there because of just like serious technical issues. Where it's just like, no, this is this is nothing. There's something yeah. better could go in that spot. Yeah. But no, I I, I, I I think I'm with John. I think that it goes in for yeah. for I think it goes in for all the reasons you think it shouldn't go in. Yeah. Uh, and I I think that that's. Yeah. Like, if something better was to go in the same spot, I don't think it's the same spot. Anymore. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Then now we're just, at that point, we're just giving something a new category. Um, th this just fills that particular space of, like, bad, entertaining formulae. Next time on Deep Dive comedy. of 1993, find out does Son in Law really hold up? <laughs> yeah, no, it, it does not. Holy <laughs> shit. Do yourself a favor. Go watch that movie again, and then uh, let me it. apologize to you for having me do that. I mean, I go watch Son-in-Law and enjoy it. It's it's a lot of stupid fun. I mean, fun. it's paced really poorly, and oh. like jokes don't start until you get to the farm, and even there, the jokes are few and far between. But when you right. do get a fucking good slapstick joke, I was busting a gut the whole... Like, we were laughing pretty damn hard yeah, last there's night. There's some good moments. Uh, yeah. throughout, throughout most of what he does. Uh... But it's not good uh, it isn't. in any any stretch of the imagination. Does it fall for mediocre? Yeah. No, I, I would say, this to, to me, this isn't a 21% out of 100. This is like a 30, yeah, 30 to 40. 30 to 35. Like, it's not that, I don't terrible. think that it makes it mediocre. I think that this movie just falls like solid bad. This yeah. is a bad, bad movie. Like, objectively not good. Few redeeming qualities. That said, the redeeming qualities that it has make it perfectly enjoyable. And beyond that, it belongs in the vault, I think. Alright, we're, we're just gonna say it sneaks in. It just barely. Thunder, 
This, when someone walks into the vault, this is the movie that, like, they can't see because the door is still being held open and it's in the <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> this is the movie that someone walks into the... This movie does not in the vault. This movie makes it into the vault just like a piece of toilet paper makes it out of the bathroom on your shoe. No, no, no. We, we are absolutely putting this movie in the vault on purpose. We're just making sure that it is in like the least noticeable yeah. place. Yeah. Some Someone bitch walked in to... with this movie on their shoe and it fell off it's while they were checking the out. No, that's a, that sounds like an accident. No, I, I'm a fan of putting it behind the front door. That way it's the door what... stopper. Yeah, holds the door open. And the AC's out. So, uh, do you guys think that this uh, movie uh, deserved its reception and its reputation in general? Oh, absolutely, because it was received like shit, and its reputation is basically what we just went over. Like, yep. it's fun, but it's not good. You know, no one's I think clamoring a, for the remake. Might not be here, but a fun way to go about this would be to re-examine movies that did terribly in the late 2000s, like 2010s. And see how they would have done in the '90s. Oh, that would be good. Well, that, that is another follow-up question. We'll probably get into more as we do more episodes. For us, would this have been better received in a different year? Yeah. Like, could would this movie have been better received in any other year? And no, I don't, I don't think no, this. No. I think this, this movie, movie was received. This was the best time for it to come out. <laughs> this no movie other, could only be made in 1990. It, it literally, for those who don't know, it came out one year after Encino Man. Encino Man was all set in a high school setting, so technically, it was because Polly Shore plays the same character from movie to movie. Uh, Encino Man came out in 92. They were in high school. Son-in-Law came out in 93. It was a college setting. Mm -hmm. uh, essentially the same character you saw in Encino Man uh, cameo. So, yeah. Yeah, I will say, I do think that maybe this movie would have done better if it had released a few years earlier. Like 91? Like 1990 or 1991, just because, again, there are a lot of things in this movie that do, I, you know, they, that do exemplify it as part of the 90s, but this movie was very clearly written in the late 80s. It was written for that generation. It was just sold... Ten years after it was it was done, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, but who would have done it th five years before that? Who was the who was the Polly Shore of five years ago? Before Rodney that? Dangerfield? I don't fucking know. Oh my God, can you imagine how <laughs> different of a movie that would have been? Oh, Jesus! It would have been legitimately the exact same movie. What are you doing? Have you seen my camera? Oh, let me touch your boobies. And that's that's it. This has been the uh, the Light Angle Podcast. I'm Chris. Chris. I'm Dodge. And uh, get out there and enjoy some fucking movies, guys. Detroit Not Rock this City. <laughs> we built this city on rock. Wait, I don't know how you can tell people to, that you're going to put this in the vault and tell them... Thank you.